Hi there. How's everybody doing? All right. It's, you seem like you're doing mildly okay, but we'll, we'll take it from there. Let me ask a question, though, as we're getting going. Um, anyone here a fan of Star Wars? Can I ask that? I know it's a very odd way to start a Christmas series, but we could start it in a, ga- a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, but we won't. We'll start with that. Can I ask you this? How many of you have never seen Star Wars? Uh, wow. Okay. See, those, those are the people to pray for. All right. Um, now... I am a huge Star Wars, I'm just kidding by the way, uh, although, you know, who says no to prayer. But anyway, I'm a huge Star Wars fan, uh, most people know that, I've been a fan since I was a kid. Um, in fact, I am old enough to have seen Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi on the day of release in 1980 and 1983 respectively. Um, I was, uh, one year, I was Darth Vader for Halloween, and then um, I, in high school there was this uh, Halloween thing and I was Luke Skywalker, I think that might also... Now thinking back, that's also why I didn't have a lot of dates in high school. Um, but uh, also, one of the things, up until I got married, I was actually, uh, you know, I kind of minored in being this, uh, like, toy collector, or, you know. And so I had a storage unit full of collectibles, like pretty much uh, 75 or 80% of everything that was released for uh, the three Star Wars films that came out. And uh, when I got married, um, my future wife said, hey, it's either me or your Princess Leia dolls, and, uh, and so, which I chose her. And uh, so I actually sold all the collectibles I had, and that's what paid for the first last in security on our first apartment. And, um, but I'll tell you, the, the reason I tell you all of that is, the, as much as I'm a, a huge Star Wars fan, and it doesn't matter what I'm doing, if I'm, I'm flipping through the channels and I see the movies, as many times as I've seen them, I still stop and watch them. Um, but the, the coolest thing is that my daughter, who's almost five, has become this Star Wars nut. Um, in fact, this is a picture of her fighting Darth Vader, um, that, which was like for her like the coolest day ever, and for me, um, you know, we were very excited. This is we were at Hollywood Studios, and she, so she was able to join, do the Jedi Academy, and she fought uh, Darth Vader. And um, you know, I can hum any music to her, like I can, you know, whatever song it is, you know, like what part is this, and she'll tell you what part of the movie it's from. It's actually kind of scary um, how well she knows this. And uh, we asked her recently if she wanted to go see the Muppets. You know, the Muppets movie came out. And we said, uh, I said, Mama, do you want to go see the Muppets? And she said, no. And I said, why not? She goes, because I like Star Wars. And I'm like, well, you know, it's okay to like other things. You can like Star Wars and something else. And she says, okay, I like Star Wars and Star Wars The Clone Wars. And I'm like, well, you can even like something, a third thing. So I finally talked her into going to see the Muppets, and she really liked it. And, um, but uh, now, the, the reason I tell you this, what has been so cool for me, has been watching the movies through her eyes and, uh, and seeing the movies from her perspective. Because, you know, I watch Empire Strikes Back. I've seen it, I don't know, hundreds of times, I suppose. And when Darth Vader tells Luke, I am your father, it's like I don't have like a real emotional reaction anymore because I've seen it so many times. But when I watched it with my daughter for the first time, and she, she, he says that, right, you know, at the end of Empire Strikes Back, and she's got this, like, wide-eyed look, you know, and, and she says, she turns to me, she goes, Bobby, yes, is Darth Vader really Luke's father? Yes, Mia. Whoa. You know, and then she says, you know, that's a lot like Buzz Lightyear and Zerg. And I'm like, well, yeah, I guess that's true. And, uh, but, but here's the thing, there really is something to experiencing a thing through the eyes of someone else. You, we, this is so true when it comes with your kids, seeing things, experiencing things for the very first time. 
Um, it, you, have you ever brought a friend to your favorite restaurant and then they're experiencing that for the very first time? Um, it, it, listen, this happens if you ever invite someone to come to church with you for the very first time. That is it's totally the case because you have a very different experience than when you're here every week. When you're here with someone who's never been here before, you're, you're, you're looking at everything differently, right? And um, now what I find to be so interesting is that people will come up to me, because I'm usually hanging around, you know, in between the services, and so someone will come up to me and say, hey, this is my friend, um, and I invited them to come, and they, they came this morning, and I wanted to introduce them to you. Now, I know what that is. That's code. Um, you know, that, that's, that's someone telling me, I've been talking to my friend about, you know, Jesus, and... I've got them to come to church. They're here. Please don't screw this up. I mean, you know, that's basically what they're saying in a, in a very nice, nice way. And uh, now, we're kicking off this, this new series today that's called Advent. And it's rediscovering the moment that changed history. Because I think that all of us would agree that Christmas, this Savior who was born, is the moment that changed everything. It's the moment that changed your life and mine. It's the moment that changed history. But the challenge that we have is that most of us know the Christmas story. In fact, most of us know it really, really well. In fact, most of us have been able to, we've heard it in some way, shape, or form. We've told it in some way, shape, or form. And even though it's the most important moment in human history, the moment where God himself took on human flesh and dwelt among us, we can miss out on the beauty, the glory, the majesty of Christmas. And so what I want to do for these four messages that we're going to do in the, in the Christmas season is that I want to just tell you the story of Christmas through the eyes of someone else. Because like I said, it's, it's that moment when you're sitting on the couch with your daughter watching something that you grew up with but she's never seen before. I want us to walk through the Christmas story and see it through someone else's eyes. You see, because I believe we'll be, if we can experience Christmas through the eyes of someone else, it'll open up the Christmas story to us in a brand new way. So today, I, I want to introduce you to a man who spent his entire life waiting for Christmas to happen. In fact, his entire life was predicated upon, part of his purpose in life was predicated upon this idea that God had revealed to him in some way that he was not going to die until he saw the Messiah. That was God's promise to him. His name is Simeon, and Simeon, there's, there's not a lot that we know about him, but we know that he's an important person in the life of Jesus, and we're going to meet Simeon as Jesus' parents are fulfilling a requirement in the Hebrew Scriptures, and let me explain to you and set the scene before we read the verses that we're going to read out of the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. Um, it is a Jewish custom at 40 days old, Jewish parents would take their child to the temple to fulfill what was called the law of redemption. Um, if you remember the, uh, the story of Exodus, if not, maybe you saw the movie. Um, you, know, you know, Charlton Heston tells Pharaoh, let my people go and all that. Well, um, in the biblical account, um, you know, Moses tells him, I'll let my people go and all that. He doesn't do it. Eventually, God, uh, there's what's, you know, the night where God kills all the firstborn um, in Egypt. It's a really brutal scene. But that's the only thing that will allow him to finally um, let the people, uh, for Pharaoh to let the people go. And so, at the night where all of the firstborn are struck down in Egypt, God says to the children of Israel, He claims ownership of all of the firstborn in Egypt since they, the, the firstborn of Israel were spared. And so, the law was that firstborn males 
were the property of God. And so then what, what would happen is you would have to take your child then to the priest. And as you took your child to the priest, then the parents would have to redeem them. And uh, let me in fact read to you a few verses, um, if I can, in your notes in Exodus 13. It says this. It says, In all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And so it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is this? That you shall say to him, By the strength of the hand of the, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And it came to pass when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. And it shall be a sign on your hand as frontlets between your eyes, for by the strength of the hand of the Lord who brought us out of Egypt. The point of it was that a child would realize that while God gives us redemption for free, He offers us salvation for free. While it is free, it is not cheap. And so God was gracious enough to save Israel while Egypt suffered in their stubbornness, or for their stubbornness. And listen, now the, the, child, the parents would, a child, would arrive with the child as they fulfill this law of redemption, and the father would hold out his child to the priest, and he would say, this is my firstborn son, the first issue of um, his mother's womb and the Holy One. And after he says that, the priest would respond and he would say, he would ask the, the father this question. He would say, which do you prefer? To give your firstborn son uh, to me? To be here? Or to redeem him for five shekels as required by the Torah? And then the father would say, I wish to redeem my son. I present you the cost of redemption. And so then he would give the priest the five shekels and then the 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 priest would also take the son at that point in time and he would uh, pray a blessing over, his, uh, over this child and then he would hand the child back to his parents and they would go their way. Now I tell you all of this by way of introduction because this is what's happening. In the verses that we're, go- that we're not going to spend time reading, but in the f- few verses before that we see that they went, that Mary and Joseph go to the temple to now present Jesus, this child who had been born, to fulfill the law of redemption. And they go to this man whose name is Simeon. He is a priest. And he takes the child. And what we're going to read is not only about Simeon, but we're going to read the prayer of blessing that he prays over this child Jesus who has been born. And what we're going to do is look at Christmas through the eyes of this priest who's been waiting all of his life to see the Messiah born. And this, his whole life is now the culmination of this moment when he holds this child, the, 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 the fulfillment of a promise in his arms. And we're going to see what Christmas is about as we look at his life. In fact, um, if you'd open to Luke chapter 2 um, or turn on your app or whatever you have there, um, here's what we have in, in Luke chapter 2. It says, Now, when the days of your purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem... To present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is written in the law of the the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or uh, two pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. 
And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the first thing that I want to show you if you're taking notes in your outline. The first is this, is that Christmas is a promise fulfilled. It's a promise fulfilled. Now, I don't know what Christmas is, is about for you. Um, and and I'll, I'll be honest with you, um, for me, I, I was not like a big fan of Christmas before Carrie and I um, had kids um, because there's simply no room for anything. I don't know if you have this feeling in your life as I do in mine, like everything is packed, malls are packed, restaurants are packed, your schedule is packed because everybody has a party for you to go to, your closets are packed because you're hiding a bunch of stuff from your kids, and then to top it off, your living room is packed because you've decided to put an eight-foot tree in the middle of your living space because no one buys a house. This is such an interesting thing. No one buys a house thinking, this is a great spot for a nine-foot Fraser fir. No, nobody says this is a great spot for our current furniture. And then you take this giant shrub and you put it in your, and you've got to go live with a small forest in your house for a month. And so that's why, you know, when I think of Christmas, my first thought is, you know, traffic waiting and a slight case of claustrophobia. And so, but when, when Simeon thought of Christmas, he thought of a promise being fulfilled. Now I want you to think about this, that the Jewish people have been waiting for the Messiah for thousands of years. In fact, there was a prayer that they prayed every day praying for the Messiah, for God to send the Messiah to come. And, um, what he, and he learns that, that God is going to send the Messiah in his lifetime, that he is going to see the Messiah. So every day, Simeon wakes up with this sense of expectation. He wakes up with this idea that, listen, today might be the day. Today might be the day that I hold in my arms, that I see the Messiah, the, the, the Christ, the, the, the one who's supposed to save us, right? So for, for, for Simeon, Christmas was about expectation. It was about the fulfillment of a promise. And, and here's the thing that's important for us, is that for us, every day can be that day. Every day can be what Christmas was for Simeon. Because one of the foundational truths of the Christian faith is not just that the Messiah came, but that the Messiah, Jesus, is also coming back. And over and over, he lets us know of this. Jesus, before he died, he said these words in John chapter 14. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's house. If this were not so, I would not have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that where I am, there you may be also. The reality of Jesus' second coming was so real that when Jesus ascended to heaven after his resurrection, the early disciples just waited. I mean, literally waited. And let me just read this to you. It's, it's so funny. Uh, it says this, that after saying this, Jesus says some words to his disciples. And says, he was taken up in a cloud while they were watching until they could no longer see him. And as they strained to see him rising to heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken to you, from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way that you saw him go. I mean, I just wish I could have been there. This is one of those scenes that I'm going to get on Blu-ray um, when I get to heaven, and I've just got to replay and watch. Because I can just imagine these guys, like they see him go. He goes up. What do you want to do? Well, let's just wait. He said he's coming back. 
Oh, yeah, he's coming. Yeah, let's get ready. He said he's coming right back. He must have just forgot his keys or something. So much so that they're waiting that these two angels have to show up and say, Guys, you know, it's not going to be like before dinner. It's going you know, to be some time, but let's just, you know, don't worry about it. He's going to be back. And, 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 and yet here's the thing. The reality of Jesus' return should prompt us to live like he is coming back. Like he, like he could come back today. What the Bible says about Simeon is that he was a just and devout man. Let me read you this in, um, in 2 Peter 3. It says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burnt up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Simeon was a just and devout man. And no doubt one of the reasons was because he had been given this promise. That, there, that one day he would see the Messiah, the Savior, face to face. And so, listen, in light of the fact that Christmas is about a promise fulfilled, and that Simeon was a man who was, who was just and righteous, that that idea that, that, that they could, he could see the Savior at any moment, listen, it influenced the way that he lived. And it could influence the way that we live as well. Listen, my friends, Jesus is coming back. When? I don't know, but I do know this. It's closer than it was yesterday. And if that's the case, listen, don't withhold forgiveness. Don't hold grudges. Listen, be generous. Love people who are tough to love. Devote yourself fully to God. Because Christmas is a reminder that not only did Jesus show up the first time, but he's coming back. And Simeon's expectant life is a model for us of how a believer should live. But listen, the story goes on, and look what he says in, in verse 27. He says, So he came by, the Holy, uh, came by the Spirit into the temple, and when his parents brought in the, Christ, uh, in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, that he took the child in his arms, and he blessed God and said, Now, uh, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, the first thing we said is that Christmas is a promise revealed. The second thing is, is that Christmas, Christmas is a path that's illuminated. It's a path that's illuminated. He says that this child is to bring salvation to all people. Um, a couple of weeks ago, um, I have two kids, if you don't know. My daughter's almost five. My son's about two and a half. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were reading the Bible together as a family. And we were talking about Jesus forgiving us of our sins and saving us and, and, and all of that. And so I asked my daughter, Mia, if she wanted to pray and ask Jesus to forgive her and, and, and live in her heart and, and all of that. And she said, um, it's okay, Poppy. I already did. And I, and I said, now, um, I'm sorry, when did this happen? And she said, oh, I did it all by myself. And I'm like, when did this? You know, mind you, I was a little annoyed um, because I wanted to be there when it happened. But I said, so when did this happen? She said, well, one day I was in my room and I prayed to God by myself. And I said, well, why would you go and do a thing like that? And so, and I said, well, now I'm, and I'm like, well, why don't you tell me exactly what you prayed? 
And she said, well, I asked Jesus to come into my heart and forgive me um, for the bad things because Jesus died on the cross. And I was like, man, that's good. And, uh, and I'm like, well, first, Mia, first, that's wonderful. Secondly, I think you're the only person on earth who's ever saved themselves. Um, and third, no more significant spiritual moments without mommy or Bobby being around, all right? Now, you laugh, but listen, recently she just baptized herself a couple of months ago. Um, we had a baptism here, and uh, my niece and nephew, who are um, 12 and 9, they wanted to get baptized. I baptized them. And then um, my daughter wanted to go in, too, and, we said, and, and my wife said, no, you're a little too young. And so she was really annoyed by that answer. And so that night when my wife was giving her a bath, she's like, she just kind of is going back into the water, like by herself. And my wife is like, Mia, what are you doing? She's like, uh, Mommy, it's okay, I'm baptizing myself. And she's like, Mia, you can't baptize yourself. She's like, no, I just did. Look, I'll do it again. And she just does like that. And I'm like, y- y- y-. so anyway, it's, um, we're, we're, she wants to do this stuff solo. We're trying to fix that. But here's the thing. Simeon looks at this child, Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, who he's holding in his arms, and he prays for two things. He thanks God, saying, God, you fulfilled your promise to me. Because once again, Christmas is a promise that's fulfilled. But he prays that this child would be a light for Gentiles to come to know the God of Israel. And the second thing is he prays that the glory of God would be revealed to Israel and through Israel. Essentially, um, what he's paraphrasing is a passage from the book of Isaiah that says this. I put it in your notes. It says, um, in Isaiah 49, Indeed, he says, is it too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob to restore the preserved ones of Israel? I I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Listen, God's desire... For the first Christmas is God's same desire for this Christmas. Is that as it was in that first Christmas bringing light, the light of salvation to all people is the same thing that God wants to do here. That listen, that those who are far from God would, be brought, would come to know Him and that the people of God would be illuminated. That the people of God would shine in such a way to reveal Him to those around us. So listen, here's my question in a real practical way. We're doing these um, services on the 23rd and 24th, as you saw in, in the buzz this morning. And the question is this, not just which service are you going to? Oh, I'm going to get tickets for me and for my family. Okay, good. That's a good step. But, which, but, but who are you going to invite to come with you for these, to these services? Some people that maybe don't know God. Some people that maybe are far from Him. And that being the case, listen, because this is the time of year, that one of the easiest times of year to reach people. You know, it's the only time of year that people are singing songs about Jesus in the mall. You know, I mean, when you think about it, I mean, when people are singing, Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth, mercies mild, God and sinners reconciled. It's a great opportunity. Hey, you know this whole God and sinners reconciled. Are you interested in that? Let's, you know, and, and, it's, and it's a real easy thing. And so now is the time to, to invite them, to see them come here so they can hear the gospel and see God change their lives. We talked about we're doing two services, the 23rd at 7 and the 24th at 5. And uh, you can grab tickets at the, at, the, um, at the Resource Center. But listen, you grab tickets not for yourself, but for the people that you're going to invite. Because Christmas is not just about the stuff that we get. Listen, it's about a path of salvation that Jesus set. 
when he became a man and dwelt among us. But there's the last thing I want to show you in verse 33. Look at what he says. He says, And Joseph and his mother marveled at the things that were spoken of him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the third thing that I want you to note, and that is that Christmas is a person revealed. It's a person revealed. Jesus' parents are stunned at the prophecy that Simeon gives because Jesus' parents knew who they had given birth to. But they were amazed to see that Simeon himself knew that Jesus was the Messiah. And so he blesses Jesus' parents with a very strange blessing. That this child will be the point of division for many in Israel. That Jesus will be a point of sorrow for them as parents as well. It's a very strange blessing to give when you have a newborn child. Those of you who have been here for a baby dedication, you know that that's usually not the kind of prayer that we pray. We pray a prayer of blessing, a prayer that they'd come to know God at an early age, the prayer that their parents would be given wisdom beyond their years to know how to train up a child in the way they should go. You can imagine, hey, we've got so-and-so, they have, they're going to uh, dedicate their child. And imagine if we did that, you know, and we know this child is going to be very divisive. We know many are going to rise, you know, whoa, what's up, what's up with that? But it's this, this prophecy that Simeon gives because he realizes who it is that he's praying for. That there's going to be some in Israel who believe and some who don't believe. And listen, and he says to Mary specifically that, that, that this child, that a, that a sword will pierce your heart too. And listen, no doubt when Jesus, her son, is hanging on a cross a few feet away from her three decades later, that as Mary's heart is breaking, that she remembers the words of Simeon. My friends, it's very easy for Christmas to be about something other than a person the Son of God who became a man and dwelt among us. And what I want to do um, is really just share something, three very simple practices that, um, that, that I have and that many have um, about keeping Christmas about the person of Jesus. And I know that sometimes people get crazy about this stuff and it's like, you know, we don't give gifts because, you know, whatever. And I, 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 you know, maybe this is a little more of a balanced approach, but how do you celebrate the real reason for Christmas without getting caught up in all, in all the other stuff? Um, so let me give you three things. I put them in your notes. Um, now, here's what you do. Real simple. Number one, celebrate, celebrate by praying before you open your gifts. Right? I mean, that's not that big of a deal. But one of the things, listen, this has a profound impact on my, has had a profound impact on my kids. It's Christmas morning, they're excited, they know they're going to get stuff, and yet here's what we do. We, we take the time to pray um, at our house, we take the time to tell the Christmas story, and we talk about how on your birthday you get gifts, but it's Jesus' birthday, but what he does is he gives his gifts to us. And so it's a very simple thing. In fact, we're having services on the 23rd and 24th, we're not having services on the 25th, but we've actually recorded a, um, a very brief Bible study so, uh, on DVD that you can pop in and, um, and, and do with your it's a It's a short message that I did, and I know when you think about me and short messages that they don't mix. Um, but it was a really, it's a short message. I think it's like five or seven minutes. Um, and, um, 
and just kind of refocusing on what Christmas is really all about. And those of you that come on the 23rd and 24th, we're going to give every family a, a copy of that. Um, and, and it's just a simple thing, right? And that's why, you know, like at our house, and, and I'm not like anti this dude, but like we don't talk about Santa. Um, not because we think that like Santa's satanic or anything, you know. We tell our kids that Santa was this really cool guy who loved Jesus and lived a long time ago and gave kids gifts and, and all that stuff. We tell them that. But we tell them that that's not what Christmas is about. Because think about this. Gifts are not about being naughty or nice, Right? The gospel is not about, and sometimes we have this idea that God is a lot like Santa. He gives gifts based on whether you've been naughty or nice. Guess what? All of us have been naughty, okay? And uh, Jesus is the only one who's nice. And what he does is by his grace, he gives us gifts. By grace, he saves us. By grace, he changes our lives. And listen, so that we can just rule out the naughty or nice stuff and just recognize, okay, all of us have been naughty. That's why we need the gospel. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we needed the cross to begin with. And now we need to explain that to our kids when they're young. Or if not, they're going to they're go on with life having this very skewed view of who God is. And that, well, it's all of, if God does good things for me because I'm, because I'm nice. And if I'm naughty, well, listen, guess what? The idea is we've all been naughty. Jesus, in his grace and in his love, does things for us, not because of how we've performed, but because how he performed, because he lived the perfect life, he died the perfect death, and he rose again. And it's on the basis of that that we experience any goodness in our lives. That's one. Here's two. Uh, So one is praying before you open your gifts. Two is celebrate by giving your best gift to God. Now, this is a little more challenging. It's something that my wife and I have practiced for several years. Um, and I, I've never shared this. I only share this because a friend of mine who knows that I do this um, forced me, not forced me, but he said, you need to share this um, and, and, you know, encourage people in this. Um, my, my wife and I, I, like everybody, you know, most, well, at least most people, you set a budget for Christmas. And you say, this is what we're going to spend on Christmas. And so, and then, you know, husband and wife, you set a budget on, hey, this, we're going to, you know, spend X amount on each other, and that's it. Um, the first Christmas, I was just thinking about this on the way here, um, the first Christmas that my wife and I had together, I mean, things were really lean, and so we were, our maximum was 25 bucks for each of us, um, and that, that was it. And then, um, you know, as God has blessed us, we've been able to do a little better um, than that over the last almost 15 years. And, um, but one of the things that we've done from the beginning, since, since we were first married, is we always said that the biggest gift that we give, we give to God. And so we would say, you know, what's the limit? And let's say the limit is 200 bucks. Well, if we're going to spend 200 bucks on each other, we want to make sure that we do a little better than that and give that gift to God. And so for us, that's, we'll, we'll write it, whatever our limit is, we'll write a check to the church for a little bit more. And, um, and, and you can do that. Or you, maybe you say, well, I don't want to do that. I want to give that to some charity. Then do that. But the whole point of it is this, is that you remember that it's not about me buying stuff for people or getting stuff for people. That Christmas, once again, is, it's about a person who was born. And listen, g- take a gift and give it to an organization, a church, a ministry that's getting the gospel out, uh, that's telling people about what Christmas is really about. And what I have found is that it focuses me on what Christmas is all about. That God so loved that he did what? He gave his only begotten son. And then here's the third one. The third one is this. You celebrate the real meaning of Christmas by coming to church to worship. By coming to church to worship. Listen, we're missing out. Now, obviously, I'm preaching to the choir because all of you are here. Um, But 
we're missing out if we don't take time to worship God at Christmas. And I would just encourage you to be here for, if you can, for all four weeks of this series and gain a deeper understanding of Christmas and worship God for his amazing gift. That's what uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 says. It says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And listen, because the reason that we worship is because we need a Savior. We need to be saved. And so... If, if you're here and you say, well, I, I know all this stuff about Christmas, but you've never invited the Savior into your life, then that might be the, that's the first order of business. And the greatest Christmas gift that you can receive is that of inviting Christ into your life. And so um, as we close, maybe you're in a place where you say, man, I've, I've, I know stuff about God, but I've never invited Jesus to come into my life. Then listen, this is the moment to do it to invite him into your life, to ask him to forgive you. And listen, this could be a Christmas like no other. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you. We thank you for your indescribable gift of giving your son, of God, of blessing us with salvation, forgiveness, grace, mercy when we didn't deserve it. And so now, Lord, we ask, we pray that you would do a work in us and through us through this incredible meaning of Christmas. Let us not lose focus of what Christmas is all about. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.